Hello, this is Ja Ja Ja, Nee Nee Nee, the online radio dedicated to the arts. And this is our podcast, where we're listening to excerpts of our archive and we are presenting new artist contributions in the form of voice messages. My name is Ratna. My name is Arif, and this episode we're listening to a conversation about love in the age of online dating. And it's a conversation between uh, Tamar Shafrir and Fusun Turetken, who will talk about Tinder and romance coming up later. But first we have a voice message. Uh, as usual, this is an artist contribution. This one is by Merane Atashi and Gio Wyatt. And Merane Atashi and Gio Wyatt are visual artists based in Amsterdam, or actually also Rotterdam, because Gio just moved to Rotterdam, um, who both work with sound in various ways. Um, so they work individually, but sometimes they meet and they jam together in the studio. The common voice recording is from one of their sound practices, where they're kind of, uh, they're making contact together, they're talking together, uh, but through music. Marana plays synthesizer and geo guitar, and he also adds some vocals later. The recording has a title also, it's called Winter, Summer.
That reminds me of meeting Merane and Gio at the Reichs Academy, right? Where we are, where we used to do radio also. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we all met for the first time. And I like what I liked about this recording is that I really felt like being in a space. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've been at the studio where it's recorded, but still, it feels quite intimate. I think it's also something that they didn't. It's a practice also that they didn't share, aside from making this message and sending it to us and sharing it with you now through this podcast. I also had to think of the van that Gio has with this organ in the back and basically he can ride around and play the, the synthesizer or someone else has to drive, I guess, while he's playing. Or you can just park it somewhere and play. I wonder if they also do that together. I really hope we can once do a live broadcast from that van. Ah, that, that would be, be amazing. amazing. <laughs> but we're making plans now while presenting the podcast. Um, actually, there's more to share today. Uh, and it's it's quite a... Uh, long and interesting uh, conversation we're going to broadcast or share with you um, called Modern Love and it's an episode that you made Arif and was quite a success you got quite some responses also to it yeah it was quite a popular broadcast and probably because everyone is asking themselves what to do about online dating should I join or should I should I not join? <laughs> uh, have you ever been on online dating, Radna? No, I uh, arrived quite late to the party or the party started when <laughs> I was already married. So I missed out on it. And I think, um, well, it will appear in the, in the conversation later, but I think what I liked about this conversation that it's uh, between people of two different generations, maybe also different uh, private situations and that it also influenced I think their private life influenced maybe their opinion on online dating as well in, in the conversation. Yeah, we'll hear that later, that's true. So who did you actually talk to? Yeah, I spoke to Fusun Turetgen and to Tamasha Freer. Fusun is a visual artist and an architect, and she's currently the head of visual culture of the Piet Swart Institute in Rotterdam. And she's also pursuing a PhD at Goldsmith. And Tamar's a writer and a designer, and she's a lecturer at the Design Academy Eindhoven. They both join me for this conversation on a Saturday afternoon. As we'll hear, it's about online dating, it's about the commodification of love. We'll also just speak about Tinder. And the conversation is a follow-up on an article that they both published in Volume magazine. And then they decided they couldn't stop talking about it, or there was more to explore. So here is uh, 50 minutes more of modern love. Welcome to Yaya Nene, live from the Fiber Festival in Amsterdam. Fiber is all about audiovisual art, digital culture, and electronic music. And this year, the theme is Prima Materia, alchemical thinking and making an art, design, and music. My name is Arif Kornweitz, and we are broadcasting live from the Brackegrond, the conference center close to the Dam Square in Amsterdam. Later in this hour, Fabian, one of the curators of Fiber, will speak to Denise Akera and Daniel Erasmus. But first, we will talk about love in the age of online dating. And here with me are Tamasha Frier and Fusun Turetken. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'll just do this quickly. So, Fusun, you're a visual artist and an architect. And you're currently head of visual culture at the Piet Swart Institute in Rotterdam. And previously, you were the director of the German Pavilion at the Architecture Biennial in Venice. Uh, Tamar, you're a design researcher at the New Institute in Rotterdam, and you're also a lecturer on design and critical writing at the Design Academy Eindhoven and the Sandberg Institute here in Amsterdam. And you have co-founded Studio Space Cavia. So during the next half hour, we'll speak about modern love, and I'm excited to find out if I'm a pessimist or if I'm just uh, conservative. So, <laughs> um, I think it's not the first time you're having this conversation, right? How did it start? Yeah, um, Tamar and I have met at Het New Institute in Rotterdam. And uh, the New Institute, uh, where I had a fellowship last year, until now locked us up in a retreat location in the center of the Netherlands. And we're discussing artificial intelligence, the arts, 
And uh, after this session, there was a, uh, an idea to have a publication with Volume Magazine. So I was asked by Volume Magazine to contribute. And I had suggested to Nick Axel uh, the topic on modern love, uh, or more precisely, algorithms and love, because I was really fascinated how algorithms uh, take a place in this, um, um, not online dating, but particularly in the online apps. Uh, and when we had the discussion with Nick, he said, oh, maybe it would be nice not only to have a text, but if you, have, if you could have a conversation with Tamar. And uh, so I took, which annoyed, I think, Tamar in the first place <laughs> very much. I, um, on purpose, took a very conservative uh, position, not necessarily because I really reflect uh, upon things like that or, or believe in it, but just to keep the discussion going. And, that, and from there, we had a quite interesting dialogue, which was, in fact, much larger than what we uh, published in the end in the volume magazine, which is, I think, only a couple of pages or a couple of uh, lines. And, um, but the conversation around it got quite interesting and, and, and was very complex and long. So I think this is added to zero. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second version. And it, yeah. it's also quite funny, I think, because um, I was telling Fusun, I, I should mention, by the way, that Fusun has never really used any online dating apps or systems. Um, so in a way, I think it was a bit her guinea pig in the terms of the, the framework of the conversation. But uh, it was quite funny. I was telling her that I, I recently uh, went on Tinder just to see what was going on, check out the landscape. Um, and I noticed that it had actually changed quite a lot as well since we had spoken um, in the, the in the context of the the interview the the article, um, and I think it actually began to sort of contradict some of the points that were were in the that that we had discussed in the article. So it's also quite interesting how you can't really um, create like a fixed standpoint. So I think I would actually have a kind of a lot of critique against some of the points I had made previously in the sense of how um, the app has continuously developed in a way. I think this is an ongoing discussion, which is great. No, I, I think as as much as the technology is going to develop, um, uh, we're going to have this discussion, you know. And, and and it's also something that I would like to touch upon in the discussion today with you is that, you know, what is the technology? Um, what is the speed of the technology, and how does it then reflect, or how does it mirror in in the way these apps are used? And I also would mention, I think there's quite a big degree of kind of an idea of self-transformation or alchemy um, that could relate in a lot of ways to how people interact with those apps and how they frame the interaction then between two users. Um, so I think that that's an, I know that's another personal interest of Fusun, which he also explored in the fellowship. So I, I think we, we could try to find some intersections between those two topics. So um, if you were to describe sort of the broad lines and uh, different positions that you that you and uh, sort of took in this conversation, what would it be? So, I mean, once again, it was a role play, right? So it's really a staged role play, and it and and we're enjoying it um, uh, to have this uh, conversation. Um, but um, basically, I, I was coming um, towards the topic more from a geeky point of view. You know, what is actually going on? Theorizing it. Um, what are the differences between online dating? websites and um, how are uh, apps specifically used, um, what happens if um, technology uh, replaces Kismet or um, uh, the swipe right replaces Cupid's arrow, um, but also a very conservative position by asking Tamar things like what happens if the algorithm is the matchmaker for you and the sort of human matchmaker is replaced or your gut feeling is basically ignored, things like that. So very, very, um, yeah, almost conservative, but also um, thinking about um, apps like Tinder as almost like a filthy uh, app, but but on the other hand, also really thinking about things like um, um, Paul Virilio's statements, where he says, you know, the speed of technology has become so accelerated that a user possibly cannot foresee or over overlook what's happening, right? So, what does it mean to have so and so forth many encounters 
via Tinder, which doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have sexual encounters all the time. But why are you actually looking online for love instead of maybe not even having the illusion that you would find love, but you could also maybe just meet a random person somewhere randomly. So things like that. And then, Tamar, you have to explain the other position maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I tried to take a different um, perspective because I think in many ways I, I found that... Um, and I'm speaking, I think, a bit like w one year ago, Tinder, so I, I can talk a bit later about how um, I've observed some, some things that have changed. But uh, what I felt in response to Fusun's prompts or provocations is that actually Tinder um, amplifies a lot of the pure ideas we have about um, like a, a connection or um, a, a gut instinct that, from my perspective, are actually much more difficult to... Um, uh, experience now if you meet a random person because I think like in, in physical space and in, in an urban space or, or in a social space um, I actually find that there's a huge amount of sort of um, uh, biases and, and filters that happen um, in real life that actually class class but, but uh, uh, geography uh, social status social status yeah all, all of those things that um, I found what was actually kind of more more interesting was that that Tinder, in some ways, created this very uh, pure, um, very very simple, very reduced um, uh, kind of reaction. Um, and what I, what I also I think found quite interesting to to think about is that not only think about um, these apps or or meeting in, in person as a uh, an aspect about like love or romance or sex or whatever, but also as a kind of exchange of information. So one thing that I found really interesting with Tinder is the way that you see somebody, um, their physical appearance, but you also see how they perceive themselves um, in a very constructed way. And I found that actually quite uh, informative somehow in, in the sense of how do people judge um, each other and what one has to offer one, uh, what, what do you, they have to offer one another, um, which I actually found in a way it's almost another layer of information that is more difficult to get um, in physical space because there's a lot of uh, pressure, let's say, to um, construct something that's rather seamless, whereas I felt on, on Tinder when it's kind of reduced to text or images or the selection of photos, you actually can see much more somebody's self-understanding and how that or what that would say perhaps about their their personality or what they were looking for. So it, it's a it kind of, I, I, yeah, in a way I, I was sort of pro, <laughs> I was sort of pro these things. But I also think like the, the term conservative I don't know if it really applies, actually, because I think you can use Tinder in a conservative way. Um, you can use Tinder in a very experimental way. Um, in the same yeah. way, you can be uh, only meet people yes. in, in real life and also be conservative or, or radical. So and I, I think I think we're going to talk about this in a yeah. minute, right? I know that uh, you wanted to also ta talk at one point about the beginnings and yeah, what it sure. actually means. So maybe we're already going too far. No, yeah, let's, let's, um, I was wondering about one thing that you said, Tamar, because you were saying that uh, today uh, it's more difficult to uh, meet maybe someone in certain spaces. But then I was wondering, compared to what time? Because is, that, is there actually a time where that was easier or is that just a romantic sort of image we get through film maybe? Or Yeah, I think... Well, I think there's a few um, things that maybe make it uh, more difficult now. So, for example, um, I think the the possibility that somebody is um, not looking for any kind of uh, romantic sexual uh, interaction um, is much more likely nowadays than before. So, before I think there would there would have been much more pressure on people in general to. Um, pair up and have kind of traditional uh, relationships. Um, I think in, in some way it was also kind of a, a reaction to um, uh, Fusun and I because we're, we're like a little bit different in age and um, judging from Fusun's experience, um, I, it seemed that there was a kind of more uh, um, simple, that, that's a huge generalization, but in a way it seemed like it was more simple from your perspective. Um, 
at least in, in let's say, like 10 years ago, for example. To find love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, I, but, but uh, can I just add to that? What's really interesting is another conversation that we, keep, that we had. Um, you know, for example, if you, if you think of uh, gay club culture, what was a hideout space, so to say, for a certain uh, generation um, or very uh, sacred space in terms of, you know, having the possibilities of, of meeting someone. Um, if you th now think of these um, dating apps, what, what becomes redundant are then exactly those spaces, for example, right? So who then needs a gay club if everything is um, sort of uh, organized through a mobile app? Um, because then what you need is only the mobile phone. So uh, the repercussions I think these technologies have also spatially are quite interesting. Now I'm, of, of course, a little bit exaggerating, but, but these are also things that, that are being discussed in several documentaries. You know, what, what happens not only to this sort of uh, dating, uh, but also how do we court? You know, what, what is the effort that we make to meet a person? Or, you know, um, what is the... the we are, I think we're also going to talk about uh, love as commodity at one point. But I, I got really interested also as an architect, not necessarily practicing architecture in its very essence, but I was very interested what then also happens with these hideout spaces. Um, so I don't know how you think about this, but this was one aspect that we had not discussed, for example, in the first edit. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just thinking because um, I actually was speaking to Arif, I think, last, last week about um, going to a, a club here in Amsterdam uh, where there were quite a lot of young people, like, yeah, around, I think, early 20s, uh, uh, even 20. And um, what I said was, like, it's, I find that actually... Because uh, well, I'm 10 years older, so if I see that, I think for me it's actually a very confusing space because I didn't really understand looking at the people. It's very, very. It's much more difficult now, I think, to tell even like not not even necessarily orientation, but even gender at first sight, you know. Um, and then when those things are are like not like you know really really sort of um, upfront and like kind of uh, uh, easy to kind of glean at a, at a glance adding to that the idea of like well not everybody is interested and not everybody is is looking or, or some people are shy or some people are more aggressive um and adding also kind of the, the spatial dimensions uh i think once when that you mentioned that for example there was like more light uh that times so you could actually see other people whereas normally it's it's much more dark for me that space became really really confusing in a sense because i didn't understand you know in a sense yeah, maybe it has to do with my age, but for me, going to a club, it's still really very related to um, this question of meeting somebody. So I was wondering, like, how do people know what anybody else here wants? And that, how does that intersect with what they want? You know, it's a... <laughs> yes, if it, and people could maybe call in and tell us, because I also don't know the answer. I was thinking about something you, you said about the sort of, uh, let's say, safe spaces and how they might disappear because of apps. And I think... It could also be maybe a good, a good thing that certain groups might not need a safe space anymore. So I think the disappearance of these spaces is really dependent on the context of the the larger societal context in which it happens. I don't think at the moment it is a, maybe a, a good thing happening, but maybe at a sort of a larger shift, it could signify a change for the better. I, I'm not sure. What do you think? I'm not judging it. I, I think it's a, it's a phenomenon to to just be observed in a way. Um, but I also agree that it completely um, is framed by, by a societal uh, context. So where do you live? In which country? Uh, do you live in a city or in a rural area, etc.? So I think these are the parameters that we have to um, include in this thinking. But maybe from there, maybe we can also shift to another topic, which is um, what, what Tamar was just saying, um, you know, how do you know what another person wants? And that is, that is really a funny idea to me in a way, because um, why do we actually know or need to know what, what is going to happen that evening, that night? Um, why is it not that we can just, just see... And, and, and let it flow, uh, you know, uh, to its 
whatever you know these are i mean i guess i'm trying to connect it a little bit to uh what i sense uh, is a little bit of a neoliberal idea of how to also think of 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 meeting people you know you you don't want to waste time you don't want to kiss the wrong frog and this is also what a um a lady called helen fisher says you know she calls these dating uh apps not dating apps but she calls them introducing sites so she says in the end our our ancient human brain I, i'm not i'm not sure i agree with this but that's how she frames it she says you know our our uh, ancient uh, brains will kick into action the very same way it has always uh, measured and, and and sized up other people that we meet um, be it through tinder or apps like uh, okay cupid or if you if you meet them in person doesn't it doesn't matter in the end yeah so that that for me was a very interesting part of your conversation uh, the difference between dating and courting so actually these apps should maybe be called online courting apps because that's that's what they maybe i don't know do for us more than than the dating because you still go on a date and yesterday i was talking to someone um, who went on several dates that happened through, I think, Tinder and other dating apps. And he said, uh, on each date, either he or the other person would ask the question, why are you here? And <laughs> always the answer would be to expand my social circle or some version of that, basically. So my question would be, do you think that if you have a wide social circle, you still need dating apps? Or maybe do you still want to break out of that circle then? I I, th I suppose it's very it's very personal. I mean, I think what what uh, something I, I also mentioned in the um, in the article I think was that uh, at least I think in this um, uh, architecture design art um, uh, in a way network um, a, it's a very nomadic culture um, and one in which I think you um, meet people for very brief and intense moments in this kind of uh, huge range of cities. But at the same time, um, your uh, professional profile is very, very inextricable from your, your personal identity in those situations. So what, what I was saying to, to Fusun was that um, even though in a way you could look, for example, at that, at that as a method of having a, a very wide geographic network, maybe to some extent, a wide um, uh, socioeconomic network. It's not necessarily that uh, everybody is rich or poor. Of course, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really like the most inclusive scene, but it's not the most restrictive either in the sense that if you go to a bar in a city in a specific place, probably there's an economic profile associated with, with um, the, the people there. But w what I was saying is that I found that quite um, challenging because in a sense this information seeking um, then becomes also very risky um, because then you kind of conflate your, your personal and professional identities and also you risk kind of suffering consequences if your uh, guesses were, were incorrect, let's say, <laughs> if, your, if your instincts were, were wrong or if also if, if maybe they were right but maybe it results in a, in a kind of bad um, outcome. So in a way I think that would always be framed Uh, related to your how you consider yourself as a kind of thinker, as a worker, as a um, a person beyond just a human being looking for physical uh, affection or, um, or or romantic affection. Yeah, so but I think I, I think not everybody has the the networks that we have uh, through works, and not everybody uh, is curating or doing things like that, or traveling to from or hopping from one biennial to another, which is also necessarily not the best thing for your private life if you're in a relationship, for example, and if your partner is not an artist, etc., etc. Et but I think what it what struck me when I was um, talking to uh, a colleague was that you know they were saying. You know, people in rural uh, areas, uh, somewhere in little towns, through those kind of apps, got to meet people. You know, for example, a woman who had uh, separated from her partner and had a child and, you know, only had um, one night a week where she could ex escape and was really dying to find a new love partner uh, through this app very easily could connect to someone because she simply could just not travel all the time to London, you know, 
back and forth. So I thought, oh, okay, that's 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 definitely an aspect to think think about. And I guess, I guess the other side of the of the conversation would be um, we're always including into our par parameter that we're actually talking to a human on the other side of the chat or the other side of of the app, right? So I think at one point we will then also talk about how much is the algorithm influencing or are we in fact talking to a human on the other side or is it a bot, a BOT sending us messages? So I guess that's another yeah, parameter. Can we fast forward to the anecdote you told me yesterday about yeah. the bot? Yeah, oh yeah, the bot. And that was quite a lovely one. Uh, so an IT expert from California um, had divorced from his wife and he thought, well, why not try online dating? And he did that and he found someone and he was having lovely chats for over six months until he recognized that the geography of this lady was changing throughout the conversations. And at what point it got so confused that he just tried to type in a random series of letters, like, you know, X, Y, Z. And the response of the lady then was, uh, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, then he realized that although he was an IT expert, he was, you know, he got trapped in a conversation with a bot. And um, that anecdote really, really stuck with me. Yeah, it's, it's striking for a lot of uh, reasons, actually. I mean, first of all, is it just an experiment by someone who is like, is it, it's not really a practical joke if you're doing it for half a year, so... Maybe there's also some value connected to it. I'm, I'm really wondering. And we were on, earlier we were speaking about commodity and how, uh, first of all, the dating profile itself becomes a commodity, but also people on dating sites uh, sites somehow become a, maybe a product, or they're being rated. All these these kind of issues. Mm. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely also like a self commodification I think Had, and, and what's interesting the, the, like one of these amazing projects where people compare the LinkedIn photo to the Tinder photo that people select for themselves which again I think it's that it's kind of related to this idea of like fragmentation of different aspects of the self um, which each find their own uh, medium of, of expression and their own kind of gravitational center so you might think well I will express my sort of um, like hidden interests on, on Tinder uh, whereas in, in LinkedIn you kind of more want to be a, a kind of a standard or like so, something that, that would be very palatable from a business sense but I have to say like my, my Tinder photo for years was um, me photoshopped as one of the blue people from Avatar which is fantastic <laughs> so um, but I think we have to establish that the, that, that online dating is really a, a big Big business, no? It's it's big money. Uh, there is. I wrote the number down this morning. It's like two billion something per year. So um, Tinder has a, a massive. And in, in a way, we're also marketing Tinder here, which is not good. Um, <laughs> Don't buy Tinder. Yeah. Okay. Cubit grinder. <laughs> la la la. Um, but um, they have a massive amount of users. Um, and we just figured uh, yesterday in our conversation as well that now if you want to use it in a different way, you also have to pay for it. So it's not, it's not for free anymore. Um, but then it's very shocking in a way. And I think that's the only thing that is really shocking to me is the, the quality that it has as a flash market. So to say that, you know, when you see um, all sorts of people, no matter what age, how they represent themselves Uh, online that that I have to say is quite shocking for me because the idea of having yourself reduced only to that one picture or or that many pictures is is a bit disturbing for me and and I really like this quote you're only as good as your worst picture on tinder is also very telling so I guess that was also what you were uh, saying about the fragmentation of the I of your identity but then from a visual culture aspect aspect or point of view it becomes very interesting how do you actually self Represent, or represent yourself. Um, yeah, I'm a bit two-folded about this. Tamara, what do you think? No, I was, I was thinking. In in a way, I think this this question of the flesh market is present everywhere. Though I don't think it's I don't think yeah, it's exclusive to any kind of. And I think the flesh market can also be flesh 
as as in terms of voters or flesh in terms of um, people in a protest or flesh in terms Print of marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I don't I don't really see that in any way as exclusive to the to the app. But um, I I do think like this this question of the the commodification and the gaming is quite interesting. So I think one of the so there's a few ways that that Tinder has kind of changed since our original conversation. Um, one of them that I, I might have been there, I think, at the beginning of the time, but one of them is this, this idea that you can pay for a certain um, uh, time span, like half an hour, an hour, uh, for better matches. So basically, in, in Tinder, there's you have an internal rating, um, which is not known to you, but which is kind of calculated by the, the program. So very traditional, like hot or not, one to ten scale, you know? Perfect match. So I think yeah. that's that's basically calculated based on who um, swipes right or left on you, um, how much time it takes, blah, blah, blah. Um, but what's funny is that Tinder then, they also use that rating to uh, match you with certain people, but they're also aware of how people's psychology is affected by the um, order and let's say in a very crude way, quality of, of people they're presented with. So even if you have a very low rating, they'll still present you with people that you will say no to. So people even lower than you, just so you don't feel that you're um, liking everybody and nobody likes you back. So it's, it's also very uh, kind of funny manipulation of the, of the psychological process, which in a way I find extremely similar to real life somehow, especially, let's say not maybe from an older perspective, but if you think about like how kind of dating works in high school or college, I found that really, really kind of um, uh, resonant with, with that but, mentality. But I think there are several things. So one thing is the algorithm making the match for you, right? So the algorithm tells you who's a perfect match for you. Also, there is a function of the algorithm in, um, I forgot if it was OkCupid or Tinder, um, but it means that if you have not swiped right on a certain uh, amount of people, the algorithm will put a block on your perfect matches for the next two or three months so that you just spend a longer amount of time swiping left and right or whatever <laughs> trying to desperately meet someone. So that's one funny thing. The other thing is... How do you feel if somebody likes you? And I guess that is very much the same whether it's analog or online, right? Do you feel validated by, if you know, if somebody likes you, is it the same thing as if somebody comes to you and chats you up and says, oh, I like your glasses, la, la, la. But that's, kind that's of thing, I think, where, where Tinder actually, it's kind of interesting because then you, you don't know on Tinder if somebody likes you unless you like them back. So you that's actually true. don't have that, that confrontation anymore, Um of this kind of, yeah, uh, like uh, awkwardness in real life. Um, but uh, I was going to say something else that, that is like really uh, nice on Tinder, but I just set my mind. Um, should, I, should I just keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, I, can I respond to your avatar? Yes, sure. The avatar <laughs> is very interesting to me, the camouflage, right? That's, that, that I think is beautiful. So it gives you this space of where you can just experiment. You can, you can uh, build an alter ego which in a way, of course, can be uh, annoying, but it's also a beautiful uh, space of experimentation. Um, then there were some analyses um, where they said, you know, the camouflage, if, if you consider yourself, for example, ugly, by whatever ugly or beautiful means, by whatever standard you measure that, um, it in fact is not even helpful for you because um, the, analyze, the analysis shows that being ugly can actually help you. You might get more messages. Um, whereas the very slick, beautiful person might be considered a bit, um, well, not sure, you know, he or she will not like me back, la la la. So these kind of, it's, you know, moments um, can happen, which, are, which I find quite beautiful um, through either playing this in a smart way or... Um, seeing what actually happens. So as an extended space to, to your real realm, I find, I find these kind of uh, online uh, sites and apps quite interesting. Um, and then also the pattern is one thing that I wanted to discuss with you guys. Um, is that, you know, there, was so, there were two guys who were hijacking the algorithm. And 
that was based on the fact that, of course, using these apps uh, also means that you have to use a lot of time or spend a lot of time, and you were addressing the theme of, of courting. So the way of courting changed, but it equally maybe demands, uh, 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 an, or it, it demands for an equal amount of time. So because the guys thought, oh my God, I have to send these messages to all these ladies or to all these guys, I might as well have an automated script do that for me. So they started using bots at one point until then the dates would happen. So even the, the bot would even organize the dates in the calendar, in the personal calendars, until they got to meet <laughs> the people. And there was another Sounds guy... Sounds very useful, by <laughs> the way. Yeah, I knew you would like it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you, you will not forget the date, etc. But another guy was also very smart to say, well, okay, if we, to come back to the patterns, if we can establish a certain amount of patterns, we could as well say, well, what are the patterns or the features, the ca characteristical features that I need to have to be attractive to the audience, so to say? And what he did is that he manipulated the code to an extent that um, he had a 99% uh, output and all of a sudden 300,000 women liked him. Can you imagine? So all of a sudden he became the perfect match for 300,000 women, which I found incredible. I, I think these are the moments where then the conversation on, on, of, of algorithms and their, their role in this sort of modern love becomes very um, fascinating. But again, what I find strange, I think we, we talked about this in, in the article, like I, when I hear those stories, I also don't really understand what, what the point is behind them. Like yeah. in, in a way you could, like who needs 300,000 matches? What's, what, is the, what does it mean? Then, then you're actually back to ground zero because you don't have any distinction between all of these kind of um, algorithmically optimized uh, uh, connections. In the end, then you're back to sort of almost this social class thing where you're like, I'm looking for somebody of this age, somebody of this social status, somebody of this job, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, it's in a way you have, again, this swath of totally undifferentiated individuals so what is then the filter to decide which one of them is the 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 true love in a way that's what you're looking for but what, what he also found sorry what he also found is that you know all the women that were suggested to him were um um almost assimilate um they had similar features so he went on out on a date with three of them or four of them and it turned out they all had the similar uh um fascinations, for example, or the likes for a, a certain a certain drink, let's say gin tonic, and then they were listening to the same music, etc. But, um, yeah, no, I totally get your question. Um, that That's that's a critical one. But I think um, one negative aspect of these patterns is another one, and I think that was harshly criticized, and I think everybody has read about this. It's, uh, it's the aspect of social eugenics, which... Uh, I find probably one of the most crucial aspects in this whole discussion, you know, if if we use these kind of algorithms to find a certain um, race to pair ourselves with, then of course that has this very, you know, awkward moments that make me think of very bad times uh, of our modern history, so... Yeah, it's, and it's for sure, like, there's been a lot of studies about how black women are routinely, like, the most uh, uh, kind of discriminated against, let's say, racial and uh, gender identity on, like, across all dating apps. So it's a huge, um, uh, it's, yeah, it's a hugely problematic space still. It's not that um, it provides any kind of utopia. Um, although I, I was going to say, like, what, what I find quite interesting Sorry to keep going back to Tinder, but what what I find quite interesting there is this. Let's say again more before than than now is the kind of reduction of information. So one thing again that that's really unusual there, and I, I hope this is still accurate, is that they don't actually ask you your orientation. They just ask you, are you looking for men or women? Uh, which I find funny because then it means that like if I'm looking for a man, that man could also be bisexual. Um, or he could be gay primarily, but looking also for men and women on the app. And I would have no way of knowing that. So in a way, it's, it's only kind of um, prioritizing the um, mutual like in a sense. It's not Do you really... have to have a gender? Uh, for sure. 
Yeah, then it's kind of complicated because it's connected to your Facebook profile, which I think now has expanded the gender definitions very, very widely. Um, so well, I'm not sure how they work together, to be honest. I have two friends who went on Tinder at the same moment, and um, they were both looking for guys. And one of them, at the, also at the same location, one of them got a lot of like, beautiful guys, and the other one got like, I don't know, like let's say class B to C, C to B. That's give us, give and, us a number rating. So <laughs> let's say three to five. And um, then they were wondering, and uh, so these two girls, and they were wondering what's going on. And um, after a week or so, they found out that one of them had a different gender on Facebook. And so all the beautiful guys were all gay. And um, I think it's, it's sort of telling that it took them a week almost to, to find that out. But also, within that week, they were super frustrated, right? One of them felt really like, why am I, why am I getting all these? Yeah, why am I getting discriminated? But um, yeah, I think I want to talk about two aspects. One of them is maybe the reason why we sort of use these apps. And that not only goes for dating apps, but in general. And I think they're modeled after slot machines in a, in, in a lot of ways. So you sort of react very quickly and you also... There's, there's some, yes, it's basically gaming or play in a way. So, and then this guy that sort of um, basically tried to break the bank in the casino with the exactly. 100,000 matches, yes. there's always someone like that in the casino and the, the rest is basically going there to play. But, um, so in that sense, I don't think there's such a, such a big difference maybe with the real world. And I think maybe somehow also the technology is... I mean, bright objects hypnotize the mind. So the technology, we're, we're speaking about technology a lot now, but in a way, a lot of norms are just repeated on online dating. And maybe we should also talk about those. And I think the conversation about online dating, about the technology behind online dating, is obfuscating those conversations also. So I'm wondering what you think about it. I agree. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean... Okay, so I think it's it's very interesting that in, in games you always have this moment where you get uh, a punishment or you get the jackpot, right? And for example, if you use, there are these weird numbers by young New Yorkers. These are, I think, male guys. They're dating <coughs> nine women a week. Then, of course, you cannot say, oh, this is just because it's 2016. You can also look at, you know, Los Angeles, Hollywood, you know, Warren Beatty, for example, Beatty being, you know, a playboy figure or Mick Jagger or whatnot. I mean, these are popular cultural examples that now come to my head. But Alexander the Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, um, you know, of course, I mean, this sort of... Um, uh, seeing uh, sexual encounters as a quest has always existed, but then the technology comes in, and it, I think that makes it uh, quite interesting. But can I, you know, I, w I was just thinking about this. This is this is not only a modern thing. Um, if I think everyone here in the room might know the German band Kraftwerk, I hope so. Yeah, and the, or some of us know it. And there is a, a song called Computer Computer Liebe, Computer Love which has, uh, I was just looking at it uh, this morning again, and, you know, obviously it was not written 2016, but if you, if you look at it, uh, it, you know, the lines are very telling, and they could equally exist now. Um, but I think your, your, your question was, what happens if it becomes game-like, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think for me the question is another one. Are people aware of the fact that it's almost like a game? And it, I would argue that people are not stupid. I think people are emancipated. I would, I would like to think of, or I would like to believe that the users are emancipated and are to a certain extent aware of what's going on and that, it, that it, they have to see it as a, as a game. Um, but I also do understand that there are certain people who really think they can, they can find real love online or that said maybe only can find real love online and I think there it becomes maybe um, interesting to look at why is that notion um, existing um, but in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a quest for fortune and love you always have this sort of uh, gaming aspect anyway 
what I what I found more interesting in in the question is also that how how the business is related to this. You know, I really I really have to you have to understand that it's business. Gaming gamification is also business. Um, so why would you give out all of your data so that somebody else makes many many dollars with this game? So that's maybe you want to add to this. Yeah, I mean, just <clears throat> this not only goes for dating apps, of course, because famously on Facebook, it's, exactly. there's this phrase, it's free and it always will be. And then you always ask the question, like, what, why is how, it always how? free? Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> what am I giving them? Big you know? data. Yeah. <laughs> Big data. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the potential for even a very simplistic app like, like Tinder, I mean, I was saying simplistic if you compare it to something like OkCupid, which is so much about the personality quiz and, and like your specific interests and all this stuff. Um, even that now with has so many integrations into it that I think the potential to understand and quantify and commodify any kind of human interaction, whether it be, for example, do you want to date in a group? Do you want to link this to your Instagram profile? Um, do you want to um, uh, recommend somebody to a friend now? You can do that. Which I was thinking, this is, this is you know, going back to like the shtetl, like how, <laughs> how, how things kind of, kind of work. But what happens if you have only humanoid robots then that you're dating in future? Uh, well... Why not? I mean, some people are already quite robotic. <laughs> but, but these developments are there, right? So if we, if we gamification a little bit further, and if we say, okay, what happens if we're dating a, a machine? <coughs> um, I mean, th these are predictions, and these are things in development. Mm -hmm. So what if the kiss comes through your telephone, and you have a, your partner at home is made of plastic and wires? <laughs> What, how would you think about it then? Hmm. You mean about the gaming aspect behind this? Yeah, I think it's um, it's just an extension of where we are now somehow. Maybe the more um, exciting question for me would be if they at some point start to date each other also. So yeah. if we become sort of an onlooker on online dating, but online dating without us involved, basically. I'm not sure if that could ever happen or be exciting, but well, I think uh, kind wait, of Hollywood wait. is basically that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like looking at these totally g generated scripts. In a wait, way. what do you want? You want to be the voyeur, voyeur watching no, <laughs> robots mean, dating? Or I don't. <laughs> what is the question here? I'm not sure. <laughs> I was wondering if that would then be the next step after. <laughs> I think that's what you're doing when you're having um, sex in the in in virtual reality. In a way, mm. a little bit already. I mean, that's the first step towards it. Yeah. I'm sure you can also, uh, yeah, and, and you know, and here we are, actually, uh, then we are, uh, in fact, entering the realm of porn industry, the porn industry, um, porn industry game, and then, well, somewhere, mm. somewhere there is another app, but I don't know. Um, am I hurting anybody's feelings? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great idea for a startup. <laughs> no, but um, I, I, I wanted to just come back to, to one thing you asked earlier, which is like, why do we, why do we use those apps? Um, and it, it was something that I, th I thought about when we, when we had the original conversation. And I think it goes back to this question of conservatism in a way. So, you know, like as a single woman who considers herself... Um, you know, progressive-minded and, and uh, you know, liberal in, in terms of values, in a way it was almost like, well, what's, what's the argument not to use it? Like, wh why kind of um, uh, imp think that, that um, this uh, service is like something I should kind of frown upon uh, from a, a, a quite, I think, moralistic standpoint? I don't really know... The, I don't know if the counter argument in terms of commodification, it depends. Like if it's it's if I use Facebook all the time, then I can't really position myself as anti self commodification through data generation. And so from that perspective, it's it's a bit like um, uh, a kind of yeah. How do you kind of place yourself within um, uh, social culture of of peers? Mm -hmm. So from that, from that perspective, I couldn't really find a reason. To not do it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's also about pragmatism, maybe. And earlier I was sort of mentioning maybe the 
idea of meeting someone that we get from from movies and from books and uh, sort of that you walk down the street and you meet the love of your life um, and well maybe that's also just something that is constructed in a similar way and in that sense I would agree that yes there's no reason not to use it but um, but I think that's also maybe not the discussion right why not to use it I think it's more about to, to be to be conscious about what you're using and, and, and how you're using it to be aware of the um, the system behind it. I don't think many people are aware of the algorithm that makes the perfect match or the algorithm that blocks you for a certain amount of time to not even find the perfect match. So here you are, swiping away. But don't you think that's a bit like... It, you could say the same thing about, um, you know, don't um, marry somebody because it's an enforcement of religious standards and tax rebates and all of these kind of things that encourage oh, yeah, no. like single family uh, households. The heteronormative family, the, 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 you know, the of course, the heteronormative matrix, as you, you know, we've talked about earlier, of course, it also exists in online dating sites and apps. I'm totally aware of that. I'm also not um, criticizing one and, uh, and I'm, I'm pro well, the I other. No, yeah. no. My critique would go for, for both realms. But I think uh, one, one aspect is really interesting um, in there is, you know, can we think of, of, of these sort of apps as the grandchild of Ayn Rand, you know, and her, um, and her ideas of how everybody is... Uh, responsible for their own pursuit of, of happiness. So a quite neoliberal idea of, of and you know, there is not much space for empathy for others. So I think that, that is more interesting. And of course you can, as you criticize these apps, you can criticize the other realm as well. That's, that's for sure. No, I'm, I'm thinking about this question of empathy. Probably it's, that's quite apt, probably, for, for the way that especially... Yeah, I think actually in a way that all of these systems frame frame the interaction. Um, there is, yeah, it is a very kind of, uh, let's say dehumanizing on the level that um, somebody could have a really funny photo and then you just swipe right just to ca have an interaction with them, you know but what? with no intention behind it, yeah. you know. I still think, yeah, it's not, it's not that the vast majority of matches don't end up in anything, which yeah. is kind of, I think it is about, a, a bit relates to this, but do you know mm. what, I, what I just realized, what we forgot to mention, which I think is crucial, um, also because of the question you just had uh, asked me, is, you know, the, the nuclear family being one of the entities that really enhances the, the gross domestic product um, is absolutely also promoting itself or in search for itself in these online apps. Yeah? So, for example, you have all sorts of apps also, was it JSwipe? J date, <laughs> J date. So, but, but also but, there's there's but, other Christian okay. ones or there's other Muslim ones. So I think yeah, every but, religion has a yeah. So so women really accelerating the the, the search for their um, sexual partner and pr uh, future husband. You know to to make sure they will have children soon. You know also um, and and I, I'm not trying to be ageist here at all. So um, you know, being aware of a certain amount of time that they, they that they have to create their nuclear families, they go on these online dates. So here we are talking about conservatism, you know, or conservative attitudes. I would say that the conservatives, in fact, are using these apps quite elegantly and intelligently for them. So you know, um, just to make it very clear where I was coming from earlier by saying, you know, I would criticize both both realms. Mm. No, no, definitely. <laughs> I'm just reminded again this question of gaming the system because um, we, uh, we we had actually been speaking about the kind of connection between those apps and the um, yeah framing of of a kind of uh, woman's uh, fertility within within society. But speaking of new technologies, uh, I tried to start an ethical debate that nobody really wanted to grab onto, which um, was that I I read that it's like possible or potentially possible to um, use a woman's egg just to to create like a, a an embryo um, on its own like a fertilized one uh, so I was actually discussing this question like if you can use I know this is not related to dating apps that much but if you can use um, technology to uh, reproduce uh, without the addition of like a y chromosome 
then from a kind of evolutionary perspective, um, if I would take myself as an example, like should my, w would my preference be, for example, to maintain my, my genes 100% in that way? Or would it be better to um, uh, find like a random sperm uh, Y chromosome because this iteration of this genetic profile was like not successful in finding a partner? <laughs> There's so many, oh my God, so on so many levels, it's so wrong, you know, as a, thinking about it as a feminist and then, you know, also this, with the minute when I hear genetics, it also gets, you know, it's, it makes me, but... Um, I think it's, I mean, I, I know it's, a, it's, I mean, I'm exaggerating yeah, no, a bit, but it's, I think it's really related to this question of, of um, optimization and, and, yeah, and, no, and, and gaming in a way. You know, what, what would be the ethical argument on either side? Not even the ethical argument, but what would be the... Um, a selfish argument, you know? What is, like, if, if we really think what those apps are representing in terms of human drives, it's just... Yeah, I think the drive is a good one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe somebody else has an opinion as well here in the room. I'm not sure how you're going to set this up, but... Um, well, we don't, we don't have a runner over the mic at the moment, yeah. but uh, we do have to kind of round off. No! <laughs> um, <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> we can keep going. Um, but offline... But offline, um, but we still have a few minutes, so yeah, take your time to uh, keep going <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 um, I, I don't know that much more to add. I think, I think it's a, a huge conversation, and I have to say, of course, um, let's say we've also had this conversation from some um, privileged perspective in a way, because uh, I think a lot of people who, what, what I think is maybe difficult is that those apps. Um, uh, serve really well for somebody who perhaps knows themselves well, um, feels uh, safe um, meeting other people, has no uh, huge repercussions from something like uh, uh, an encounter going wrong um, in terms of like social status or in terms of uh, personal, personal health, personal safety. Of course, like all of those other things will massively complicate the way the app modifies social interaction. Not that probably without the apps, things are, are kind of perfect for people who are either struggling with their self-identity or, um, or don't have kind of a, a confidence um, or even access or ability to just meet random people. And it, it, actually, it reminds me, um, I once worked in an architecture firm uh, that had made a, a retail center in, in the Middle East. And um, I was speaking to one of the guys who had gone there uh, to work on the site. Um, and he mentioned the fact that uh, this mall was actually a really, really critical space. It was in, in Kuwait. And he said it's actually really critical because uh, the mall is the only place where um, uh, unmarried men and women can be in the same place. So he said when you go on Bluetooth there, mm -hmm. it's like, a crazy explosion of like people messaging each other, crazy usernames, really like. Um, but, and then he said, in, in fact, when you look around, everybody is really demure, just, you know, typing on their phones. But actually, that, that, that kind of encounter already existed. Again, going back to the architecture question, again, that it's a mall, many, yeah. many kind of yeah. funny aspects. I, I remember this. Uh, there was a wall uh, separating women and uh, men in a wall, and then they would text each other across the little transparent or opaque wall. Uh, I remember that. Uh, that is al already a thing like from eight years ago. Um, it was already kind of a screen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, overcoming the screen in a way. But I think, you know, we have to maybe also talk about not only the sense of freedom that it gave to, uh, you know, gay communities, but also maybe we have to talk at one point about the sexism that is going on regarding language. So this is one thing, if you watch a lot of documentaries and you talk to a couple of people, is that what you hear sometimes from women is that the language that is used on certain dating apps has become outrageously aggressive. So, you know, people thinking that they can only use it for sexual encounters would send, especially women, to women, um, so men would send women quite outrageous messages where women would feel, <laughs> to say the least, discriminated against. And I wonder, um, I wonder how, what that means. Um, and on the other hand, to not over-sexualize it. So this is, this, is, this is a part of the discrimination. And then there's another thing that I found is that, you know, 
we always, by talking about these apps, we think that we're living in an over-sexualized society and everybody's now having sex just because of Tinder. And then you read in art other articles that the millennials are having less sex than the people born between 60 and 80, 1960 and 80. So just to also... Um, keep that in mind so i'm wondering are these discussions on these apps quite heated up on purpose are these also discussions that we're having to have a secret marketing for them you know so i think when we're talking about the 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 systems that are behind these uh, apps we maybe have to also think about the the systems that are behind those conversations when we're fueling up these conversations are we not becoming part of the system ourselves so I guess that is also a good point to reflect upon. Great closing words. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you Thanks. so much for inviting us. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. This was Yeah, 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 Nee, Nee, Nee. And you've been listening to the episode Contact, Modern Love. We have um, many more Uh, broadcast that we made before upcoming broadcast and you can find them through our website yeah 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 nee, 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 dot com. and in case you have any questions requests fan mail just write us through info at yeah, 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 nee, 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 dot com. thank you for listening